as I'm about to like make my beeline away, Mark says, David, I've had a lot of things I've wanted to say to you for a number of years. Whoa. I'm 40 years old. When he says this to me, I'm instantly back at the big 12 years old again, back at the big house. I know that look. I know that tone. And I can only assume where he's going with it. So he continues. He says, I'm going to talk about this in my speech because he got up and he was going to make a big speech at lunch here in a few minutes. I'm going to talk about this in my speech. Dad has always said that if it's not fun for everyone, it's not fun for anyone. And David, your book was not fun. I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. Be advised that the Literate Apecast is recorded for adults with adult themes and language. If you are easily offended, best to cover your ears. But then why listen to a podcast, dumbass? Okay, um, so, uh, you've written books, right? I have, I have written books, yes. Have you ever had a, no, you know, I'm not even going to ask you, because I doubt that it's happened, and, or maybe it has, and you probably don't care as much. Let's start this over. Let's start this whole thing over. Let me just. (laughs) You know I'm keeping all that in. No, I want to do a good introduction for this. All right, do a good introduction. I know you're going to keep all this in. (laughs) Fucking prick. All right, take two. (laughs) <laughs> so seven years ago my first book was published it's called a camp story the history of lake of the woods of greenwoods camps it's a loose memoir about growing up at the summer camp that i grew up at yeah and when i set out to write the it's book a good book thank you thank you i like so, your book when i set out to write the book my my biggest challenge was I didn't want to write a book that was so specific to this to that camp that only people who went there would get it or enjoy it. So, but I needed to do them justice, right? So, the the plan of the book was to one, I wanted the book to be a love story to to the alumni of the camp and the you know and or, and, and the campers and counselors, um, you know those that knew the camp, a, a love story for them, a source of resource or a, a resource for those who were coming in, like new counselors, new campers, parents that were interested, you know. Yeah, and then just for, sort of like a love story to camp, yeah. Like, yeah, and like then for everybody else, just a really good experience. story about growing up. Um, because I think if, even if you didn't go to summer camp, there's still the, um, there's these ideas of growing up, like boys and girls getting figuring themselves out and like the weird adventures you have with your friends. and you Like know, Porky's. It, a lot like Porky's, yes. Yeah, like Porky's and the band of misfits. Yeah. Taking on the giant fat guy that's, uh, you know, right. a big bully. Yeah. Right. I mean, none of that was in camp. your camp story. But I know just underneath, just underneath was you peeking at women through the shower. Right. Um, trying to think if there was actually any of that happening. No, I don't think so. But You'd have I written mean, about it if you had, yeah. Well, we did do panty raids. You know, we went and stole their underwear and put it up on the flagpole and that kind of stuff. But anyway. You did anyway. panty raids? Oh, yeah. Is that in the book? No. I was going to say, I didn't think that was in the book. I would remember if that was in the book. You did panty raids. How old were you again? Well, and you, were a can- you were a counselor. Well, I didn't, I didn't raid the girls' 
underwear drawer as a counselor. I didn't, I mean, as a camper, like when I was 13, 14, 15, you'd go and you'd like sneak in and grab their underwear, you know, their underwear and run it up on the flagpole in the middle of the night. And well, let's the, unpack that just for, cause I know where you're headed okay. with this, but let's unpack yeah. that. What is the, cause I can't even think that there's like a sexual harassment thing to it. What is the, the, what's the point of a panty raid? Yeah. I've never, and I'm just saying, cause I didn't go no, that's to a camp. great question. I didn't go to camp, but I didn't go to a frat. I you know, that shit. So I, I don't understand. <laughs> sort of like yeah. I didn't go to a fucking frat. I didn't join that shit. So I I've never quite understood. Yeah. The, uh, you know, because I understand pranks. I like pranks, but like stealing some a bunch of girls' underwear and hiding it or hanging it or I don't understand why that's like an entry toward courtship or <laughs> high girl. I mean, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, before I get into it, let me just say this. Um, the next time that you and Dana are having, like, let's say that it's been like, you know, a week or two since you guys have had sex. And you're like, God, okay. I, it's just been busy. Like, whatever it is, you just need, like, to, you know, spark that, reignite that spark again. Sure. Go into her underwear drawer, grab a pair of panties and a bra, find the nearest flagpole, run those, run her underwear up that flagpole. And then make sure that she sees it. And I promise you, Don, she will, she will gush her lap. I don't think that's how it works, man. Pretty sure that's women I like that it, sort of thing. I, I, no, no. I think ah. I think if I think if I were to take a pair of Dana's panties and underwear and run them up a flagpole, she'd smack me upside the fucking head and say, "Get that shit down." I mean, I well, I that's don't domestic think that's abuse, like, buddy. I don't. Well, it's fine if it's domestic abuse. I, I put her fucking underwear on a goddamn flagpole i mean i'm pretty sure she wouldn't go oh you sexy man you took my shit and put what it outside what a man i have yeah no i'm not no I'm here's sure that's i think not, uh, int- i'm pretty sure panty rate is not an entry to sex unless you're like 12 years old and for well, some and I, reason I you think, think that- just like involving yourself with panties somehow makes you involved in a sexual i think here's what it is overplay i don't know is that when you're 12 when you, you know when you're a, a an early teenager, not 19, you know, or anything like that, but like 13, 14, 15. Let's just talk about those three years. The idea of seeing and then touching girls' underwear is so foreign and exciting and uncertain. Like, we don't know what a bra does. Like, cup size and strap, like, what? What is this thing? And how is it different than a bikini? And oh, it's it it's not, but it is. And oh, ooh. and then underwear, like ah, it's just a thing. It's so, it's, so it's, foreign so it's, and mysterious it's like to an us. Exploration. Yes. It's like a, a discovery moment. Yes. And and also it is it is fundamentally attached to the like thirteen year old boy idea that if I trip her or pull her hair, she'll notice me because I bit. have no yeah. play. I have no play. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to trip her and laugh, and then she'll notice me. So it's like that combined with I want to touch silky draws. I yeah, I think that's what it is. And the reason you run that's, out of the flagpole is because uh, that, that, that I think is just the youthful idiocy of like, <laughs> look what we can do. We put underwear in a flagpole. <laughs> and then everyone comes out in the morning to do the flag ceremony and they have to bring the bra and the panties down. And then somebody has to come and claim them, and it's like th- this is where it gets kind of mean. Um, yeah, it's it's basically it's basically this retarded version of courtship where yeah. I'm going to be mean to you and do this outrageous thing and embarrass you, 
so that you'll like me, which is, I, I think, probably sort of like our political discourse where I'm going to tell you and scream in your face so that you'll change your mind. Doesn't now, work. the girls had done panty raids on the boys, too, but it's different because boys mostly wear boys, boxer shorts well, and there's not like a here's a tiny bra here's a big bra like girls get em, yeah. it's embarrassing if they're either too big or too small in the boobs like i know that that's a thing so so you're also tapping into like body image and body shaming as a like uh, a, a 13 year old kid I, I on the back end yeah i mean i don't and, that and, was and, and never and the, girls, the purpose the girls I, that would do like a, a an underwear raid on the boys Unless I mean, the boy you know, has like tidy whiteies, that's the yeah, embarrassing say, thing. The one yeah. good thing about that is that when you put it on the flagpole, it looks like it's flying even if there's no wind because it's stiff. Right. Because it's just been... It's full of, of, it's, of it's night, jizzed, night emissions. Dry jizzed up. So it's like, yeah. you know, it's like putting up a piece of cardboard. But I don't, I don't remember ever doing it as a, uh, with mean intentions. It was just like... <laughs> Uh, girls underwear <laughs> flagpole <laughs> look what we did <laughs> and didn't get caught <laughs> yeah that was it it wasn't like let's make fun of whoever for having a smaller bra that you know it wasn't it wasn't any of that it was just <laughs> boobs boulder holder <laughs> yeah that's it my mom my mom always said the and she, i don't think she ever did this but my mom always had the uh the it was sort of like an underlying threat at all times was that uh, every young boy needed someone who had a ruler to hit them in the dick with yeah so you know, that, totally. it sounds like it sounds like in camp, what you needed was some maybe maybe the old you know like that Porky's uh, that old nun thing, you know maybe having some yeah. older woman older woman that would smack your dick with a ruler maybe that's a necessary component of, of growing up as a male in you know modern society. Yeah, maybe we just need that kind of deterrent where you're going to get your pee pee smacked hard <laughs> every time you act like a fucking moron. Right now that's I, and that, that's that is fair. That right. is fair. All right, so, so anyway. So here's the thing. Because so, I just saw on Facebook. Now I understand. I was trying to figure out the context. You had a reunion with your campers, with all the people that you went to camp with. Right. So every... That's what the, Okay. So the camp this summer celebrates the summer camp's 85th year, which is a lot. A lot of summer camps are not that old, especially summer camps in the Midwest. So this is a really special thing. They started doing the five-year big anniversaries um, on the 75th, so on 75, 80, and now 85, they have this big alumni day where they invite all the alumni to come back and they do tours and then they have this campfire, you know, and all this, you know, reunion bullshit. Yeah, you have a talent show. I there, well, had the time of my life. There is not a talent show, but there was did, 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 did. an old council <laughs> band. These guys are now like in their 70s. They're called Purple Herman and the Wet Willies. And they're like a 50s, 60s cover band. And they got up Dude, and they perform and it's awesome. It's just like, it's just like, uh, what the fuck is that movie called? Dirty Dancing? Dirty Dancing. It's yeah. just like Dirty Dancing, yeah. Except really sad. Because Patrick Swayback's dead. Yeah. So he, so he ain't lifting fucking anybody over his head. No. And he certainly didn't lift cancer over his head. He did not lift cancer over his head. No. <laughs> so... The owner, the current owner and director of the camp, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, is stepping away from her 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 position. She, this is this is her la her last summer in the day to day. Yeah. She's still president of the camp group that owns Lake the Woods and Greenwoods Camp, so she'll be doing that stuff. But um, the guy before her that sold her the camp was this guy named Mark Seeger. 
Before him, it was owned by his dad, Laurie Seeger. The Seegers owned the camp from 1956 to, to 1997. So what is that? 45-something Forty-something years, right? I mean, I'm, I, dude, 41 I'm years, whatever. You, you're telling me all this stuff. All I see is Jerry Orbach. All right. You know, there's a, there's an abortion thing going so on. So when I wrote the book. And then the bad boy teaching the young, innocent girl love. I, I, it's, it's like. Well, but here's the big difference. Like, yeah. Here's the big difference between our camp and the Dirty Dancing camp is that parents weren't at this camp. This is for kids. Oh, okay. Okay. <clears throat> so. When I wrote the book, I because the Seegers were so intimately involved, they had they owned the camp for forty something years. I obviously spent a lot of time with them, talking with them, and getting their history and getting their stories and working that into the book. And not only does what they told me like find its way throughout the entire book, give or take, but there's yeah, it's a like there's, research. Yeah. There's a yeah, I mean for background and things like that. Yeah, but there is a chapter called Seegerville because that's what we called. When, when the Seegers owned it, it was Seegerville, based off of the Jimmy Buffett song, Margaritaville. Got there it. was this spoof song called Seegerville, which was wasting away again in Mark Seegerville, searching for my lost camper or two. Okay, blah, blah. And it goes on and on. Um, See, when you sing things like that, you make me so fucking fundamentally happy I never went to camp. Fair enough. I thought you were going to say so fundamentally fucking angry, but either no, way. No, just happy. Happy yeah. that I never went to camp. So when I was a camper, Mark Seeger was the owner. My first two years as a counselor, Mark Seeger was the owner. I obviously loved camp. I got in trouble a lot as a kid. Um, went to the big house a lot. Had to sit in the office with Mark and get yelled at. And the big house? Yeah, it's the. It was the. It was a oh, that's former right. farm. Yeah, I, so I have, yeah, I have read the book. Sorry. Um. So when I met with Mark and Lori, all the, you know, eight years ago when I was researching the book, it was really great hearing all these stories and things I didn't know and like learning so much about them. And I wrote the book and the book comes out. Seven years later, last Sunday, okay. Mark is at the reunion. I'm at the reunion, this alumni day. And I didn't really want to talk to Mark because he's just really socially awkward. Like, with all due respect to the guy, he's just, it's just kind of like, eh. So I go up to him with my friend, Jeff Miner, who'd worked with the guy for years. And we were like, let's just tag team it. You know, quick, hey, how are you? Good to see you. And then we can go. So Jeff does his thing, and then Jeff takes off. And as I'm about to, like, make my beeline away, Mark says, David, I've had a lot of things I've wanted to say to you for a number of years. Whoa. I'm 40 years old. When he says this to me, I'm instantly back at the big house. 12 years old again, back at the big house. I know that yeah. look. I know that tone. And I can only assume where he's going with it. So he continues. He says, I'm going to talk about this in my speech because he got up and he was going to make a big speech at lunch here in a few minutes. I'm going to talk about this in my speech. Dad has always said, that if it's not fun for everyone, it's not fun for anyone. And David, your book was not fun. Whoa. Now, I'm okay with criticism. Totally well, sure. fine with criticism. That's not criticism. That's... Well, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, and not everybody has to like my, my work. That's, yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, that's, yes. But that shook me. Because... 
why wouldn't he think my book is like, and I just like, it was just such a, a thing. So what'd you say? What'd I you said, I was like kind of flabbergasted. And I said, well, I'm, Mark, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. What, 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 what wasn't fun about it? Well, David, you painted us in a bad light. You skewed the truth. You, uh, you, you told dad uh, that you would send him a copy of the manuscript before I went to print to uh, review it. Uh, you never did that. You, you didn't send us a, a, a copy when it was printed. Uh, I understand why. And he's telling me this, and I'm going, wait a minute. I don't think that's true that I didn't send them a copy of the manuscript to review it because I fact-checked everybody else in the book. I can, and this was eight years ago. I don't remember exactly. But I cannot imagine that I didn't fact check with the Seegers who were the biggest source. Yeah, the yeah, second yeah. biggest a, source a big, for a the huge book. huge part of the book. Yeah. I just can't imagine that I would skip that part of the process, you know? But I, whatever. Um, and yeah, sorry I didn't send you a copy of the book. I, I, that's on me. I did have two copies set aside for, for Mark and his, his dad, Lori. And I just never, I never stuck busy. them in the mail. You were too way, way too busy trying to stick your nose up Ira Glass's ass. I know. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, at that point, it, he'd already blown me off. But um, so he's telling me this, and I, and I'm, I'm feeling really bad because I didn't, I really did not intend to paint them in a bad light. I had nothing but respect. So I don't actually. I mean, that's the thing is, when I read the book, I didn't like go, "What a bunch of dickheads." I mean, I didn't think it was a bad light. So I, there I, must have been some very specific things that they felt were egregious. Well, he said, the one thing he pointed out was we never sent anybody home just for sneaking out. If we ever sent anybody home, it was a big deal. It wasn't a, a throwaway discussion. And I said, well, because I talk about Rebecca Kaplan getting sent yeah. home because she snuck into our cabin. It was her second time and she got sent home the next day. And he's like, that never happened. And I said, Mark, I was there. I remember her getting caught. And then there being this meeting with the Bren Mars and the Mohawks, the two oldest cabins, saying that if you get caught again, you're going home. The next person, if you get caught twice, you're out. And Rebecca got caught in our cabin. And the next day, I remember sitting in the circle area and her parents came up and she was gone. Now, maybe there were other things going on with Rebecca Kaplan that I didn't know about. But from what we knew as kids, she got sent home because she got caught sneaking out. So, sorry. You know, maybe I didn't send them that part of the thing to review. Maybe they skipped. I don't know. But that's what happened. That's what happened. So he so said he'd that he's been sitting there for seven years for this shit. He's he said off and he said that said he would send me. No, nope. so he said that he would send me the list of grievances that he had if I wanted it. Oh and I'm yeah. Like, I'm like, okay. and I took my sunglasses off and I was looking him in the eye because I felt really bad because I did not intend to make him feel this way, and that hurts because I thought that I painted them in a really good light. I mean, even end the chapter about them saying it was a wonderful time that we were, exactly, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, I, I mean, uh, again, I don't know him from Adam, but it's, yeah. I, I, I did not read the book and go, wow, David had an axe to grind with these secret people. But he says to me, but David, I'm a man of God. He's a Jew for Jesus. I'm a man of God, and my God is a forgiving God. And David, I forgive you. And dad forgives you. Oh, Jim. And, see, and then I would, then I just want to like smack him with a shoe. And I'm like, well, Okay, but yeah, like you just said a minute ago, you've been pissed for eight years, seven years. You have my phone number. You have my email. Yeah. What the fuck, bro? You know, like, I'm sorry that you I, burned all that energy being pissed for so long, but you could have ended this really quickly. 
Well, you know, but or or you could have just he could have just been a man of God and forgiven you and never mentioned not made it, it again. Right. So that's not forgiveness, man. That's but just, see, that's. But I think that that is Mark Seeger. Yeah. When there's you have, there's the a thing pettiness about it is, to it. Here's the thing: when you have to have a confrontation with somebody so that you can end the confrontation with "I forgive you." It's anything but forgiveness. That's yeah. not what that's about. That is not what those words are for. It's sort of like, I accept your apology. You know what? Right. If you accept it, you don't have to fucking say it. You just right. move on. Yeah. You don't got to say, I accept your apology because you said, fuck off. You know, so I forgive this, you. This, just forgive and shut up. This throws me like, I'm rattled. I feel really bad, but I'm also and like- he talked about it in his speech? Well, so I'm like, well, but fuck him. Like- Fuck him, he's wrong. I didn't paint him in a bad light. I, no, I'm 99% certain I sent them, I fact-checked with them. But God, I, I do feel terrible that they can't enjoy the book that is so important to their life and they had such an impact on the camp and all these people that went. Like, that, that sucks. That does suck. So I'm like spinning about this in my head and my friends are at camp, I'm telling them about this and they're like, get over it, fuck that guy. I'm like, I know, but I... I just need a minute to like be weirded out by it. So he you gets wanna, up. Yeah, you, there's, you, you want to make it right. I got to right go through the process. Way, there's yeah. no way to make it right. Yeah. Right. So he gets up and gives his speech. And I couldn't help but take it this way. And this might have been me just being raw because five minutes before he had just bawled me out. Yeah, he just, yeah. He gets up and he starts telling like the, the oral history of the camp. And I couldn't help but feel like it was him correcting me. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is a Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it. Whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before it, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. Well, it, you know, and, and well, it goes to the heart of, of sort of, uh, you know, the argument that intent is less important than impact. And I don't know if I agree with it. In fact, I, I can say I definitively do not agree with that that statement. I won't say well, that intent is, I won't say that intent is, you know, and, and you know, just to kind of, you know, shore it up is the idea that how you affect me is somehow divorced and more important than your intent in what you did that affected me, yeah. you know? And so yeah. the idea is that, okay, I said, I said something, I, I comp, well, we, we've talked about this on the Apecast before, I complimented your sweater my intent is just to say you have a nice sweater, nice like sweater, your sweater. Right. But the impact may have a very, you know, there's a variety. Don of wants to fuck me. Too. He tried to get in my pants by way of exactly. complimenting my sweater. Yeah, and so that that I'm impact is more important. Your intent. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, I've I've never argued that intent is more important than impact, but I think it's equally important. And your intent was to write sort of this camp love story, and the impact on Mark specifically, maybe his dad, although his dad's dead, so who the fuck knows? His was... dad is not dead. Jer or, uh, Lori, oh, okay. is, Lori is uh, 98 years old. He's, I guess, had a bout in the hospital, but I mean, he's, for 98, he's doing great. Yeah, you know, and, and I guess part of it is, and that's one of the things, you probably were not thinking about this at the time when you wrote the book, is 
you know, this is their this is their their family legacy. This is the thing that they have done their whole lives. I absolutely and, was thinking and, about that though. And but and, and the thing is, this is and will be the only book yeah. in history written about this camp. Nobody else is gonna like write a bunch of there's not gonna be a follow-up unless you write a sequel, but this is the definitive this is the definitive record that's because, of that's because their I, camp experience. As a writer, I cover topics that nobody else wants to cover because nobody gives a shit. That's kind of my well, thing. That's my well, niche. That's, yeah, yeah. that's your jam. You know, you're like, you're, yeah, you're like the Hunter yeah. S. Thompson of the obscure. I, sure. I did have a friend tell me that I was the Hunter S. Thompson of, uh, oh God, what did he say? Uh, Jewish Americana or something like that. There you go, Jewish yeah. Americana. That <laughs> I was like, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Hunter S. Goldstein. Yeah, right, and, right. Yeah. Well, you, and, know. you know, the thing is, when I was interviewing them for this, I, I asked them about Seagerville, and they're like, well, that we never understood that, what, what that was. And I go, it's a place. It's an honor. They're like, I don't know. It's weird. It's like, like you're missing the point that people loved where they were. They, they aggrandized you. They, they named your era before it was over. Like, as it was happening, they recognized the impact of it, and they just kind of brushed it off. So, like, I don't know what light he wanted to be painted in. Because I, I gave them the good light that they were painted in for well, years, they, you know? The thing, well, it, it, and then and that goes with, it's, it's, you know, again, again, it's, it's, it's the concept. It's like you go back and you look at, like, I can't even think of some examples. Like, I, you know, all the president's been. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure Nixon would have preferred to have controlled his own narrative. Everybody wants, I mean, I think, I think that's at the heart of the storytelling community that, You've, you're in a, a film that's coming out. When is it coming out on Amazon? Uh, it should be in September. Okay, that's yeah, called Into the Mollusk, and it's sort of a, a gentle ribbing um, of the storytelling community in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And But the thing about it is at the heart of this storytelling uh, wave, the storytelling boom, because, and that's, you know, and I've said this before and shit, years ago it's like you know this isn't new you know it's like oh hey we're telling our personal stories and aren't we unique no they were fucking doing that in 1908 i have a fucking new york times clip talking about new in new york this this big wave of storytellers like Mm -hmm. it's not new but it feels new because we're here right but the idea is if i don't get to tell you my story the way i want it told then someone else gets to control my narrative and that's yeah. exactly you are you you know that's thing is in this in a in sort of a non-storytelling like this is how it used to be kind of thing is this idea is that mark you got to tell what he saw as his story and i think your that's, way you i and think he didn't get to tell it in his way and that's really what his issue is it's what not that you said anything bad or good about it yeah. it's that he didn't get to sell it the way he wanted it to be told because you were the writer that chose to tell the story. Now, I think you nailed it on the head, which is pretty good, considering you've never met the guy, you don't know him at all. Um, but he did say at the end of it, after he f- told me he forgave me, he said, you are you're a very good writer, David. You are very good at writing. So so he liked, I mean, he sees talent. He just thought that I, I wielded my weapon wrong, whatever. Yeah. But here's to what you just said, that he didn't get to tell the way he did, like he did in that speech where he represented the history of it all. Um He's a history teacher, or was a history teacher. Okay. He also, he's wanted to write a book. He's talked about writing. Here's the thing that got me when, when we were interviewing. He wanted to write this book. Um, 
kids' letters, like kids' letters home from camp are sometimes the funniest things because they're oh, little they're kids. Yeah. My brother, Eric, my grandparents kept a letter that he wrote them where he's like, hi, Nani and Poppy. Camp is great. I'm learning to water ski. Some of the kids in my cabins are shitheads. Love, Eric. He was seven or eight years old when he wrote that. He didn't know that shithead was something you don't write to your grandparents. Yeah. Or the, these particular grandparents. He was just like, shithead is something that... It, and so it's just this really funny, cute... Well, you've seen uh-huh. Mortified, right? That's exactly... Yes, yes. Yeah, it's just... I mean, Mortified is... is right. If, for those that are listening that don't know, Mortified is a, is a storytelling show where people take their journals, poems, diaries, and shit they wrote when they were like... 12, 13, 14, whatever it happens to be, and then they read them now as adults. And they're fucking often hysterical because what we think we know when we're, you know, it's well, it is the it's it's the crux of the argument. I think mortified, if anything that proves to me that as 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 absolutely awesome as the Parkland teens are and the fucking whatever that that schizophrenic chick that was like the 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 Green Party movement uh mouthpiece from Sweden, like the Netherlands, yeah. whatever, yeah, whatever, Sweden. Yeah, you know, it's like anything that it demonstrates that kids are fucking kids, that they are not formed, that they're kind of fundamentally stupid, no matter what they believe or have read. And it's adorable. It's mortified. It's mortified. Yeah. Well, it's adorable until you know all of a sudden they have massive political power. And well, they right. Go, well, that's not so fucking adorable because well, now we're stuck in a goddamn, you know, what is it? Uh, the fucking what's the the movie about the kids that Lord of the Flies. Yeah, it's like yeah. fucking Lord of the Flies all of a sudden. And yeah. we're like, what the fuck? Children of the goddamn corn. So while I was doing the interviews with, with the Seegers, Mark told me this idea that he wanted to write a book about of, of kids' letters home. He's like, you know, I saw a lot of a lot of letters come through and they were really funny, so I'm gonna write this book. And he sent me some of what he what he had. And I'm like, this is a great idea, Mark, but there's already a book. It's called PS I Hate It Here kids letters from camp and he's like yeah but this is different because i wrote the letters what wait wait a minute so he was to publish letters written by kids that he wrote they're they're pretend letters he a a grown man in his 60s had 50s however whatever year he started writing them wrote letters Fake letters as they were kids, like to show how funny kids are when they write letters home, but they're not actual letters from actual kids. It's just weird. His, it's what he wants them to say. Right. So it is Again, this. He wants to control the con- narrative. Yeah. It's not, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a pretty natural. I mean, you know, especially in a, in a world where. Even though he's sort of, you know, been bypassed by, you know, the social media thing. My guess is if he's that age, you know, I don't know how yeah. old he's now. But, you know, it's like... It's, 69, it's 68, 69. Yeah, he yeah. might still be involved in it, but probably doesn't have sort of a deep understanding. But that's fine. Um, but, yeah, in, a, in an age where your story getting out there is is sort of a gateway to fame and notoriety. And, you know, we talk about viral kind of things, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I imagine wanting to control your narrative to a degree where you, that's like what it reminds me of is the it's why we have and I'm part at least from my end of it why we have such a an unscripted podcast that we do. Yeah. Was that when I did general admission with Tyler Green 
he was so controlling the first time we sat down to actually do a podcast, he had written out a script of the things he wanted me to say. Like, not like bullet points, but a script. Wow. And and I just looked at him. I said, well, then you fucking read it. I'm not reading <laughs> shit. I said, these are your words. These are not my words. Why don't you do your best Don Hall impersonation? I'm going to go fucking go home. Because, yeah. I mean, it's what, what a waste of my time. Yeah. But it was this need to control the narrative. And I, the thing is, I don't think that's an unusual thing. I don't think it's, it's a not bad unusual. Thing. I think no. it's, I think it's, you know, it's, you know, it's the Donald Trump thing. He keeps saying the same bullshit over and over because he wants to control the narrative. Yeah. And nobody wants to give him control of the narrative. Narrative. So, lots of people say. I mean, it's actually it's a perfect example. I'll give you an example: controlling narrative or not controlling narrative. Everybody wants to use his uh, to the squad. Yeah. You know, why don't you go home? Yeah. You know, and and so they and I you know and I'm not I'm not a fan of Trump. I'm not a supporter of Trump in any way, shape, or form. Right. But you, you got to call bullshit when you see bullshit. And the fact is, if all you if all you do is a soundbite, he told he told black and brown women to go to go home to their own countries. That's not strictly what he said. If you listen to what he said, what he actually said was, "Why don't you go home to your countries that are all fucked up." in his opinion yep. and fix them the way you want to fix ours and then come back and tell us how you did it. That's really what he said. It wasn't like, Hey, black women go home, right? Go to your own country. That's not what he said, but because there are certain people who want to control the narrative, they're going to control the narrative and say, this is what he said. Again, Donald Trump said what many things where he says, no, this is what I said. They're taking it out of context. That's the game right now is like, yeah. who's going to believe who? So maybe we just, we should have you and Mark on a bunkhouse stage to debate the legacy of the camp story. He gets his seven minutes. You get your seven minutes. I like, would be fine with that. This is what really fucking happened. Yeah. I would be fine with that. It's just, it's a weird thing because I, I think that, that he's... I think he's wrong. Um, I think he's wrong, and and not not just because I'm defending my work. Because I like if I fucked up, I will admit that I will go back. But I think after talking to people, after really considering the kind of person he is and the other things that feed into what fed this, you know, this this interaction on Sunday, I think it's just that he wants to control the narrative, and he didn't get to, and he's a little bent out of shape about it because it's it's a control thing. Well, then let me ask you this question. Okay, what was the name of the girl who got sent home? Rebecca Kaplan. Okay, was she there? She was not there. Okay, so how would you feel? Now, 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 like, reaching out, reaching out to Rebecca and asking yeah. her? Mark Mark didn't, yeah, Mark didn't, let's just assume, let's go into an yeah. alternate reality. Mark, yeah. did, Mark loves your book. He didn't say anything. But Rebecca Kaplan comes up to you at this reunion and says, you know, I never said anything about it, but, you know, and then she unloads... It wasn't just that I got caught twice. Mm-hmm. It was that my sister had, you know, cystic fibrosis, and I I was addicted to painkillers at the time, but nobody knew it. <laughs> and one of the camp counselors, you know, accidentally accidentally fingered my pussy, and so oh I God. had what you know whatever whatever weird shit was going on in her world. And she went to me. I felt like you really gave my story. You know, you really, you really painted it in a really bad light because basically all you said was, "I got sent home for doing this thing." Yeah. Would you then double down and say, "No, I think she's wrong"? Uh, I would not double down and say I think she's wrong. I would say 
I'm sorry that I didn't have all the context around that. I wrote down what I'd remembered from my experience. Uh, I apologize. Um, in the second edition, should there be a second one, I will, I will make that adjustment. So why wouldn't you say that very same thing to Mark? Um, well, I would say that to Mark. I didn't say that to Mark because it, we got interrupted by somebody else that came up to say hi, and I just, to him, and I just, I needed to get the hell out of there because I was just like, what the fuck just happened? And because he was such an a-hole about it, and see, that's, it's to hard me, that's for me to go key. back to him. That's the heart of it is, is if Rebecca had come to you and just started screaming at you or telling you what a piece of shit you were, right. you would have defended yourself. Mark came to you like, I'm going to shame you, and you defended yourself. If she had come to you and said, wow, I read your book, and I've been sitting with it for seven years, and this horrifying shit was going on with me, and you didn't write about any of that, and you didn't even ask me about that, and, it, and it's been something that's really weighed on me, then you would have said, exactly, I didn't know the context, I'm sorry, and if I have a second edition, if Mark had come to you and said, you know, I, I really felt like, you know, from my perspective, you, you know, you didn't really give us a fair treatment, and and it, and, it, and, and you know, I'm not, I'm not coming after you, but I, I yeah. felt like there were some things left out that I wish had been in there, that kind of stuff. Then you might have been more gracious about it, and it really boils down to, we are so ready to be attacked on every level for whatever reason. Yeah, we're kind of constantly in this road rage zone. Where if somebody accidentally, like if I, I remember when I first came to Chicago, and this is, you know, I've told the story a million times, like I, I had never been to Chicago. I'm driving my truck. I'm rant, you know, I've got everything I own in the truck. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I don't know where the fuck I'm going to live. And for a good two days, because um, I would used to drive around in Arkansas and Kansas where, you know, you know, that's the thing. You see your friends, you honk and you flip each other off and everybody right. laughs and you wave, that kind of stuff. And it took me two days to realize that all these people honking and flipping me off were angry at me. Right. Because I just was like, I just didn't, yeah, I hadn't experienced traffic like that. So it was sort of like, why are all these people fucking honking and flipping me off? And at the time, because I was not perceiving that as an attack or perceiving that as somebody yelling at me with their <laughs> car horn, I didn't get mad. I didn't get right. defensive because I just didn't see it as an attack. You know, jump cut to 30 years later and I'm in traffic and some fucking idiot honks at me because I haven't moved fast enough at the green light. And I'm instantly like, yeah, go fuck yourself, you piece of shit. Right. Yeah, take your Trump fucking sign on your car. Shove it up and get out there. And that's the, th that's the thing. It's all about how Mark approached you. In my opinion, it's all about the tone of his approach the tone of his approach rather than the substance of what he was saying. And I always go back to that is that, you know, yeah, maybe it's tone policing, but if we just approached people and it's not, and the thing about it is, and it's not from, if he'd gone, if Rebecca had come to you and said, I was going through a really hard time and, and, and it really, you know, I have to admit, I've been sitting with this for seven years and I don't know why it bothers me so much, but you know, the fact that I was going through this terrible time and you just kind of brushed me off really made me feel like small. And I, and I've really kind of carried that with, and you went, yeah, tough shit. Yeah. And then she went, fuck you, you motherfucker. Well then that's, again, that's not going to help. Then right. It's just boom, boom, boom. Well, but the other thing is that the, the, this book, it's not, 
it's not the New York Times. I mean, yes, it's it's a historical book. It's published by the History Press, Arcadia Press. You know, these are books that write history. Um, and I did a lot of due diligence, but I, I, I let me just read this this small bit from the introduction of the book, which is almost like a uh, a disclaimer, like you know, legal boilerplate. Like I'm not responsible for what I got wrong. <laughs> almost. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, but I, it's. It's not an excuse. It's just the way that stories go. So here's, here's what I say from the introduction. Not every single story that happened at camp is in this book, and the things you read may not be exactly as you remember them, but that's because you weren't the only person experiencing them. And that right there is what makes all of these stories so special, so different from any other stories we could tell from other parts of our lives. All of our memories of camp are shared. No matter if you were a camper in 1941, a counselor in 1984, a cook in 1990, or a camper in 2011, the memories will be the same. Just change a few names and dates, and the story is yours, just as it happened to you. Mostly, anyway. Because what I found when I was researching is I would talk to campers who were there in the 40s and the 50s, and counselors who were there in the 80s, and even though like the different things happened, it was all the same kind of experience, what they got out of it, what... You know, the way they remembered, like, oh, my God, we were so scared or, you know, we were, you know, the panty rate. I don't know. It's just dumb teenage shit, like whatever it was. So, you know, and, and at the same time, like, this is also how I remember it. I'm writing, I'm writing the book. This is the author's perspective dipping into other people's stories and bringing them together as he remembers them with factual evidence from, you know, records and newspaper clippings from the 1930s and you know but if if Rebecca Kaplan had issue I would adjust that I don't think if I got anything factually wrong that's one thing but Mark's perception of the facts are another and that I think is the issue he wanted like you said wanted to control the narrative wasn't happy with that so I I feel bad that they feel this way. I'm glad they forgive me, and I think they're forgiving God for that. Um, you know, I maybe I'll email him and say, send me your list of grievances, and I will address them. Well, I don't know if you want to address all his grievances, but I think that's possible. Well, but if, maybe, right. maybe one of them is dead wrong, and I need to have a second edition that fixes that. Maybe. I don't know. All right, Simeon cohort, here's Don and David with the six things you should do for the week. Uh, my first thing is a watch on, on Netflix. It's watch uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, the Jerry Seinfeld show. Um, what's great about it is that it, it looks at um, stars that have made it, how they're still struggling with their doubt and their, their hope for, you know, um, how to do it and, like, how to, like, the struggle of like being a comedian, um, the, you know, going through the creative process. Um, it also talks about crossing lines and how people should or shouldn't be offended with things. So it's a, it's a good look at that. The, the best one that I've seen so far is with Eddie Murphy, which I think is the first episode of the season. Okay. Um, and what's great is that Eddie talks about coming back to stand up, which is really exciting if you were to do it. Cool. All right. My first thing is I want you to uh, do a thought experiment. Okay. The first thought is the first thought is these are both a watch. 
And you can get them both on Amazon Prime or on Netflix. Not a little big man, you can't get on, on Netflix, but you can get it on Amazon Prime. What I want you to do is I want you to watch Dances with Wolves, mm-hmm. Kevin Costner, which paints the American Indians, the Native American Indians, as these sort of untouched and unspoiled, beautiful warriors and, you know, this kind of stuff. And it, it's got its own very skewed version of what the Native Americans were and how the white man came in and invaded. And then I want you to watch Dustin Hoffman's movie, Little Big Man. And Little Big Man positions it from the perspective of a white soldier who becomes uh, sort of adopted by a Native American tribe and becomes an Indian in his own right, and his name is Little Big Man. What I like about it is it's two versions of exactly the same story but with very different outcomes and tones okay little big man dances with wolf that's number one okay uh my next thing is a read uh it's a new book by jonathan foils or i think is how you say his name f-o-i-l-e-s it's called this city is killing me community trauma and toxic toxic stress in urban america it's a short quick read um he is a counselor or like a psychiatrist of some sort at the University of Chicago, I believe. And it's all about um, how the poverty and the systemic issues, um, race issues, you know, these sociological issues that hurt people, that hurt the mentally ill, we just kind of exacerbate that through our, the negative side of capitalism and Rahm Emanuel and all the other things. So it's it's focused on Chicago. I just started it. it's actually that Katie went grew up with this guy. Um, oh wow! So he's from Hammond, Illinois, and is living in Chicago now. And I'm going to reach out to him and friend, you know friend him on Facebook and see if he wants to write for the ape at, at all. You know on on some of go. these topics because I think it'll be really interesting. But so far I'm in the beginning of it. And it's it's You're interesting in. stuff. Yeah. So the city right. is killing me. Community trauma and toxic stress in urban America. It's available on Amazon. All right. My second one is another thought experiment. Um, I want you to go rent, and this I don't even think I don't know where you can find it, but I want you to go get the musical Spirit of '76. <laughs> okay, and it's all about the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and you know this kind of stuff. And then once you've watched it, I want you to read Henry Weincheck's Master of the Mountain, Thomas Jefferson and His Slaves. Okay, again the same person the same story told from very very different lenses uh you know yeah i see what you're doing here and i appreciate uh-huh. it uh-huh yeah yeah let me just say again that when mark had his opportunity at the at the on, on his speech at the reunion day to rewrite retell that history he said nothing new he reported mm-hmm. he said exactly what was already in my book just, there you go. But yeah. It's just all about the tone. Okay. All right. So my last thing is a, uh, it's a do. This week, if you're having a conversation with somebody that's a little tense or awkward, whether it's with your boss, uh, former boss, wife, husband, friend, whoever it is, person, stranger at the bus stop, if it's a really tense situation, let that tension sit for a minute and then break wind. <laughs> Doesn't matter what kind of fart it is. It could be a. It could be can you, a, a. I mean, hole. can you make? Can can you like just kind of put your hand down and go? A, 
<laughs> no, it needs to be an actual okay, audible it's be actual fart. Sphincter. I can't do that on command. I can't do that on command. I shit my pants. Well, you know what? Go one better. Shit yourself. Wow. Just see how that changes or breaks the tension a little bit. It, it it'll I think what it'll do is it'll automatically bring the common humanity of the two of you together and the issues you had no longer matter because someone just shit themselves or you'll get fired because um, you know and if you get fired for farting or shitting yourself no actually farting the- you're probably not going to get fired for but if you're sitting there with your boss <laughs> and there's a tension moment and you shit your pants you just <laughs> shit yourself I'm pretty sure you're getting fired. You're pre- I'm pretty sure you're getting fired in that moment. God, can you imagine? Like, what the hell would happen? Like, what would you do if somebody at the casino, somebody that you you know that you were managed? I don't know if you oversee anybody, but they were. You're like, look, I do. we need to. You need to. I have staff that I yeah. am a manager of. Yeah, yeah, it's like you need to be faster at getting the drinks out or whatever it is. And then they shit and they their just, pants. And they just shit themselves. What would you do? I fucking send them home. I don't know. Would you laugh? <laughs> would you be concerned for their health? I think I, I think if it was like if it was if it was like shit no shit and then they <laughs> giggled and went I think I just shit my pants. I might laugh. You know, I might go, What the fuck? <laughs> go clean yourself up. What the fuck are you thinking? But if they shit their pants and then started to cry like a single tear coming down like that uh you know, that Italian the, guy that played the Indian in the, the 70s. Indian, right, the Italian guy, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was like, if if there's a single tear because they shit their pants, I'd I'd go, hey, why don't you just take the rest of the day and go clean yourself up? Yeah, sort it out, man. Get some modium ND or something. I don't fucking, you know, whatever. I don't give a shit. That's such a weird thing. That's that's my thing. Well, my my (laughs) my third thing is not nearly as uh, it's still within the theme. Uh, This isn't a thought experiment. It is a thought experiment made a film. Okay. I want you to go rent Charlie Kaufman's adaptation. Yeah, because if you've not, if you've seen it, you haven't seen it recently enough. Is that the Nick uh, Nick Cage? It's in Nick that, right? Cage yeah, yeah. playing the I twins. I do need to see that. Yeah, because I've the seen essence, it. It's been a while. The essence of the book is based on is is it's based on the orchid thief, mm-hmm. and it's a book about fucking flowers that Charlie Kaufman decided I'm going to adapt this for a movie, or he got paid to adapt this best-selling novel about fucking flowers into a movie. He was like, how the fuck am I going to write a goddamn book about flowers and make this a movie worth watching? So he writes a fictional story of himself writing a book, writing a movie based on this book. Um, Meryl Streep plays Susan Orleans, who who is actually a person who wrote the book, The Orchid Thief. (laughs) You know, and... You know, and then he plays his just the fucking weirdest thing. But in, in terms of like taking, like the truth of a story, yeah, and how it spins out and how you adapt it, adaptation is it is on my top ten favorite movies, and it's easily my top movie about writing. Okay, yeah, it is a good and movie. That, it has been a while since I've seen it, but yeah, you got to watch it again because it'll it'll remind you some stuff, especially with your interaction with Mark. Yeah, that thing that thing was weird, man. That thing was weird. Right, anyway, that's the show. That's the show. And, uh, read, you know, here's an extra bonus thing. Read a camp story. What do you think? Did I paint the Seegers in a bad light? Let no. us know. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, you, the, you think, the audience, yeah, the, go the listening on, go on, yeah, audience. And, and yeah, and go to, go to Littered Ape and say, yeah, David Timmel, you fucking hack. You yeah. made him look like uh, pedophiles. 
and Rebecca, whatever her fucking name is, is going to come after you. Yeah, she might. She shouldn't. She said she read the book. She said she liked it. But what do I know? Yeah, but you put her fucking panties on a goddamn flagpole. And I never put her, her panties. Fucking, she's triggered. Every time she goes into a JCPenney and sees like a pair of cotton <laughs> panties, she starts to shake and shiver and cry. That single tear like the Italian Indian guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, And then she shits her pants. <laughs> All because of your book, David. Yeah. Well, at, at least it's leaving an impact. And if that impact, <laughs> if that impact is diarrhea and a pair of Victoria's Secrets, so be it. You can listen to the Literate Ape Cast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any place you find your podcast Jones. If you enjoy listening to two white guys holding court, review or share the show on your own platforms, or throw us a few bucks on Patreon. For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com and check out the rest of our podcasts, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com.